Hello everyone and welcome to Total Football Debate episode 51. It's the final episode for the Premier League season, not the final episode for our season. That comes next week with discussion about the Conference League final and of course the Champions League final, which will be wrapped up nicely, to which we will then be taking a little break. But we won't be gone too long because there will be a lot to digest, should we say, over the summer. Including a very unusual time for us all where we start to look ahead to a Christmas World Cup. Who would have thought it, eh? Missing in the summer. So, to say we've got a lot to talk about would be an understatement. But that's not because of the amount of games we've got to discuss because we're going to be ruthless today and cut a hell of a lot out and just discuss the big points all in the first half of the show to which the second half of the show will be followed up with our just back and forward debate about the season in general and uh, our potential team of the season and whatnot. And we're doing all this and it's simply just myself and Jace today. So we are carrying the load, should we say, aren't we, Jace? Uh, Isn't it fitting that the two founders are the ones closing out the season? Yeah, the ones that are probably, I was going to say, fairly happy with their uh, season, but that's uh, something I uh, look to talk to you about. Well, I mean, you are going to have to discuss one thing, because obviously the last time we recorded, uh, we, we saw Newcastle uh, Fump Arsenal, and uh, we were doing a live broadcast over Southampton and Liverpool. And then, two days later, Everton went and decided to eliminate themselves out of the relegation battle. One that I don't think you saw coming. Lo and behold, it happened to be your very own selves that blew the 2-0 lead and lost 3-2 to Everton. That must have been a a tough, a tough pill to swallow more so than anything else, am I right? Well, I'll be honest. I mean, I was on the flight back from Glasgow and I saw the half-time score and thought, yes, in the bag. But when I realised and we landed at, back at Birmingham and it was 3-2, my immediate thought was, we've obviously came out in the second half and just taken our foot off the gas, which is ultimately what seemed to have happened. We took our foot off the gas. Everton came out literally lives on the line, relegation on the line and all sorts. And yeah, we got what we deserved for the attitude, I guess, and the uh, and the complacency of uh, not getting the result. I'll be honest with you, the thing that pissed me off more was not Palace losing. It was the fact it meant Everton was staying up because had the result stayed the same... Everton could well have been in the mix going in. Well, they would have been in the mix going into the last day. So I was less aggroed about the result and more aggroed about that. But then when you look at the result being 2-0 up, that three points with the three points yesterday would have resulted in something else maybe not happening as well. We'll come on to that later. Entertaining game. But I think the biggest talking point, let's all be honest, um, is the... The stupidity and the nonsensical, it's about the second or third time in a week that we've had pitch invasions. For me, uh, I struggle, I really, really struggle wrapping my head around. I get there are fans that do it innocently in times of joy and harmony, whatever. 
but the letter of the law states when you're at the game, it's always clearly marked on the fucking signs when you're sitting there in your seat. Do not pass this point. It is illegal to enter the pitch of play. And I don't know what rock I've been sitting under for the last couple of weeks, but the last time I read something was illegal, it's against the law and there's ramifications for it. But the worrying thing is for me, prior to the Everton thing happening, commentators have been actively encouraging fans getting on the pitch and scenes this and scenes that. It's just, to me, it's nonsensical. And I think Everton Football Club have a lot of questions to answer because it's not just the fact that on that game it happened once. It happened twice. And the second time, well, even the first time, could have had major ramifications. You know, you had fans running up to plays with flares. Jack Putland took a punch. Eze had a flare put in his face. I mean, where do you draw the line? I was having this conversation with my dad yesterday, actually, when, because obviously this isn't just a single occurrence. This is Everton. This is Sheffield United, Forest. This is, uh, you know, you've got Man City yesterday, which was even worse. You've got just absolute carnage. And... My dad said, I don't know if everyone remembers, but does everyone want to watch a football game with a fence in front of them? Because it's eventually going to happen. If they can't handle themselves, we are going to go to the days and you can see it abroad. I think it's just going to, it's going to be um, a scary situation if they carry on, to be honest with you. Not we, what we want to see towards the end of the season, but I think it's a fine line between who you punish because at the end of the day, these fans, you know, it's, yes, you know, club security need to be called into question and whatnot, but I think at the same time, it's a very dangerous game when you start penalising the club with points deductions and whatnot for the behaviour of some fans because it's very easy to get into a game and disguise yourself as a fan these days. And I think we've just got to be very careful, but something certainly needs to be done. And I think the fans need to understand that if anything happens to them on the pitch, everything, every human rights scenario goes out the window. Because it's like breaking into someone's house. It's illegal to do that. What happens when you break into someone's house? Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, you, you took that risk. And I think absolutely every, there's every right that players need to do what they can to, to defend themselves if they feel threatened. Well, I'm not being funny either, but the security at these stadiums are hardly thorough when it comes to searches. So there's nothing to say that people are running with knives and stuff stuffed under their trousers, in their socks. I can't remember even the last time I was properly searched at a game. So that's how easy it is. That's that week done. I mean, there weren't many other games. I mean, I know we had Aston Villa, Burnley, but, you know, that didn't really decide anything with, with a one or draw. We'll talk about Burnley and, uh, and the relegation scrap in more detail with the final game week because it's only fitting that we went into the final game week with both Burnley and Leeds at risk. We went into the final game week with the title decider um, still to play out. And I guess mathematically, we went into the final game week with top four not being resolved. Um, but probably the more straightforward of the two. So let's get that one out of the way, shall we? How about it? Arsenal win 5-1 and still end up a goal down. 
on goal difference because Spurs decided to go and beat that pesky Norwich City side 5-0. And yeah, Son got himself shared golden boot. I mean, that, that was the only, the only kind of deciding part of the league that was some, well, wrapped up in the first 15 minutes. Everything else decided to keep us on the edge of our seats. But Arsenal and Spurs took care of business and, well, seemed to do it in some style. I mean, Arsenal, unfortunately, I mean, it's great that they decided to finally find themselves and show up. But... Um... Too little, too late, unfortunately, boys. Couldn't do that against you, could they? And, uh, well, as for Tottenham, good on Son, because he was gutted when he got subbed off against Arsenal. He was very gutted. But he got what he deserved. And for me, that is testament to him, because he's a very underrated player. I've said this before, and he's finally starting to get the plaudits he deserves. Yeah, and Kulisevsky again, just pulling out magical performance. Um, Norwich doing what they do best. (laughs) I mean, mean, they didn't even turn up. I mean, let's be honest, they're just... Questions to be had of Norwich next season. I'm sure we'll have Kossi's Championship Roundup as one of our segments. Um, Well, they'll have to be. You won't have much else to no, well, I'm a bit concerned as to where this leaves Norwich, to be honest, because I look at their squad at the moment and I, I I, would actually argue that it's already not good enough for some of the championship sides. I don't know where the progression is. I don't know what the situation is with Dean Smith. There's just a lot of questions going forward for Norwich. Spurs, we know exactly where they're at. Um, and Arsenal as well. Big questions to be had, but... I think Arteta needs to really take this tournament serious next season because with what other clubs are set to do around them, the Europa League might be their best shot of getting top four. So a nice quick summary for for the top four. And then we're going to leave all the other games that didn't really matter, um, including Chelsea beating Watford, uh, Leicester beating Southampton. We don't really need to go into detail about them. Wouldn't say we'd go into detail about Palace beating Man United and Brighton beating West Ham, but I may have to give that a little mention just for obvious reasons. Uh, I know some listeners will be looking forward to that, I'm sure. Seagull Simon, you uh, can pay me later. Um, look, let's start with uh, with the bottom, shall we? Brentford and Leeds, Burnley and Newcastle. What did you make of it? Leeds turning up and and getting the win and and Burnley at home went out with a bit of a whimper in the end, unfortunately, Burnley. Yeah, I mean, they didn't do anything. It just, it turned into a bit of a whimper, didn't it? They just, they could have made a fight of it, but never got going. And Leeds, fair play to them. God knows where they pulled it out from. But I think... The thing is, it was kind of half decided after that Everton result, to be honest. And it was always going to be a tall order against an informed Newcastle team. Yeah, I think out of the two, I think I think for football, Leeds winning and staying up is good. Um, Jesse Marsh should certainly be happy about it, because, I mean, that's probably one of the bigger 
MLS successes that a manager could have had in the Premier League. You know, it wasn't an easy feat keeping keeping leads up, but he did it. Um, whether he'll be odds-on favourite to get the sack first next season, I do not know. That could be on the table, but we shall see. What do you make of Brentford and Newcastle's next season? You know, fair play to Thomas Frank. I think he's done very well. Um, potentially we'll lose Ericsson, but then again, there's no guarantee that will happen. But I think I think they can be proud, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I think, look, Brentford, I said they'd finished. I think I was a bit optimistic and said mid-table, but they're there or thereabouts. They pushed on later on. have to say the impact of Ericsson has been absolutely phenomenal on them, by the way, um, which is a testament to him because it wasn't going to be easy. And Newcastle, they're going to be on another level next year. They did what they're supposed to do. On paper, I know they've spent money, but in fairness to Eddie Howe, he didn't recruit big-name players. He got players with Premier League experience that obviously could do a job. And they've arguably overachieved this season in the end. But it sits them in good stead for, for next season. Do you think Newcastle will be phenomenal? I think, really? I think, I think they'll carry it on, yeah, I think. I think I think it's up for debate for sure. We will see. We will see. And then the headline, the title decider. I mean, you've got to say, bearing in mind with 20 minutes to go, it was pretty much up in the air, wasn't it? I mean, for Man City to be 2-0 down to uh, Aston Villa, you had Liverpool go 1-0 down to Wolves after three minutes and then they couldn't even take the lead until around about the 75th minute onwards. It seemed like at one point no one wanted the league um, and I thought Liverpool's worst nightmares were going to come true that both teams were potentially not going to get the win and it would have been a case of what if for Liverpool but in the end as Man City do, the drama sort of took took hold of the Etihad and uh, the man that's set to leave becomes their their blue hero. Uh, Gundogan pops up with a double and uh, brings the title home. And I, I've got to be honest, for Pep Guardiola, I think that was a little too close for comfort because if they didn't win that league yesterday, I think there was big questions that he could have been in big, big trouble. I wonder if they had a brief from Sky Sports to keep it entertaining because for me, that was a bit too close than it needed to be in the end. Um, but fair play to them. They did it the dramatic way. So, uh, and in the end, I mean, look, any team that can turn around a team like that in the space of, what was it, eight or nine minutes? Uh, it was an obscene turnaround. I can't imagine Gerard's too happy with Villa and how they fell apart. But... Um, but yeah, they deserve it. Liverpool, too little, too late again. It was always going to be a tall order, really. It was just feeding the media narrative pre-game, weren't it? But look, fair play to City. Whether they were half-arsed at first or they were fully trying and then they still managed to grab it back, to come from 2-0 down and get it back to 3-2 is, uh, is quite something. I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit concerned for Liverpool going into this Champions League match you know I, I yeah something about them watching them the last couple of games I think they look a bit lethargic and a bit tired I don't know it's something about them that just doesn't seem as 
they genuinely looked like they were struggling to get a win out of that Wolves game. We saw them really dragged through the mud against Southampton. Um, the Liverpool-Chelsea FA Cup final looked a little bit sluggish. You know, they beat Villa 2-1. They couldn't get a win against Spurs, which now, to be honest, looks massive. Um Villarreal, they had to come back from 2-0 down. Newcastle-Liverpool, I remember watching that game and we were surprised as how good Newcastle were in that game to give them a bit of a run for their money. I remember them beating Everton and they just couldn't quite get over that in April. I think the last emphatic win I saw from Liverpool was the 4-0 Man United win. And you start to wonder whether there's just an element of tiredness that comes with Klopp's style of football and I do wonder whether the two trophies they desperately want in the league and the Champions League could become lost for two trophies that if you'd asked them I think would have probably been their third and fourth choice and I just think Real Madrid their preparations for this game have been second to none you know won the league ages ago resting players and I, I've, I've got to be honest I I think Real Madrid potentially could could get one over Liverpool if they're if they're on it Real Madrid will play the game and not the occasion and they'll know how to frustrate Liverpool and we know what they're like they've got winners in that team that will uh that will frustrate them they know how to handle I think that over the years have probably learned how to deal with Mane Salah and co and um, look, I could be spouting complete shit and Liverpool turn them over, but I just can't see it. I was just thinking, in that game, it really does come to tactics. It's less about how explosive you are. And, you know, they can't, they can't go at Liverpool and uh, Liverpool can't go at them and just blitz them to and be 2-0 up within the space of half an hour. It just doesn't happen like that in the Champions League. So you'll need a different approach. And I just think if you turn around and said do Liverpool have a plan B? And I'm maybe speaking completely out of turn here, and people may say, well, if Mane doesn't perform, we've got Jota. But if really and truly, does Klopp have a plan B? The answer is probably not. Also for Liverpool, it's been well documented how many games they've played and the amount of running their squad does and stuff. So you'd like, I mean... On paper, everything's swimming in Real Madrid's favour. And I think they've just got the know-how. Ancelotti, I think, they've won La Liga. Tails are up. They'll be happy with the outcome, obviously. They've, Real Madrid, arguably, as well. Mbappe, whatever side of the story you believe, Real Madrid, on paper and in the media, look like they've been embarrassed. So um, have they got a bit of a point to prove to Mbappe as well? Probably. Have they got a bit of a point to prove because they were looking for a big name signing um, going into the summer? Now, it was well documented at one point they could get Haaland and Mbappe. That's not me just saying it. The man himself, Romano, said it, that Haaland and Mbappe are real realistic targets. Haaland's obviously gone to City. Mbappe has stayed at Paris Saint-Germain. So I feel like with Madrid... This Champions League final isn't just been winning about winning a World Cup. Oh, sorry, World Cup, about a European Cup. 
this is more about saving face a little bit in the transfer market because they do have a, a bit of a rebuild on their hands because, you know, they've got Vicinius Jr., but Benzema, another year old, like the, the kind of cycle, it's got, got to a point. And you start thinking of centre-forwards across Europe that they could go in for now because clearly they wanted one. But two, two of their targets, their top targets, have arguably they've lost. So then you start thinking, who else would they go for? There's an element of um, hypocrisy with this Real Madrid situation because if there was one team that PSG could have done it to, it was Real Madrid that I would have liked it to have been because I love the fact that they're throwing their toys out the pram, they're upset by it, when actually the, the hypocritical point of view is it was them doing this left, right and centre for the past 20-odd years. You know, they were the team that bought the Galacticos, they started all this kind of massive assemble of the footballing Avengers. So for them to now turn around and start, you know, raising financial fair play bollocks and all this kind of stuff makes me laugh because actually they bit off a little bit more than they could chew. And and clearly um, they don't like uh, having it dished out, but they're happy to do it themselves. So if anything, for I think you're right. I think Real Madrid have had a bit of a I can't feel I can't think of what the right word is, but egg on fire. Um, yeah, kind of. You know, they've got a reputation to build back up from the ground because I think they feel really small at the moment. And yeah, the bullies had his had his a uh, humble pie. Let's just say that. So to go and win the Champions League might be their way of turning around to Mbappe and going see. This is what you probably could have had because another argument is I can't see PSG ever doing it. I know people don't like Man City because of what they've done, but I mean, let's be honest about it. Man City could have been a lot worse about it than they actually have been, to be fair. Considering they've gone and done what they've done, the fact that we're still talking about Chelsea, we're still talking about Man United, we're still talking about Liverpool and their conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff makes you realise that actually, imagine Man City really wanted to grab this by the horns and become those ironic Madrids and PSGs. And actually, they're probably one of the better teams I've ever seen handled the money money power situation. When you th- when I think of Man City, so that goes back to obviously 2008, and I still remember the night that they announced Robinho out of nowhere, and everyone panicked then and said, oh, that's it, end of football. But they had a very clear trajectory, and every- I, I don't- they never went about it, and still to this day, they're not the team of Gal- Galacticos that everyone, I wouldn't say they're a team of Galacticos, like... I think back, right, and maybe even me, this has been biased to the era, but if you look at City's starting eleven on um, Sunday, Edison, well, he's been there for, what, four or five years now. John Stones has obviously been... John Stones wasn't... Very easy to forget. John Stones was not the finished article. He was a very young player still, so he was hardly a Galactico, and he came from Everton. Fernandinho was a decent player, came from Shakhtar Donetsk, I think it was. So he's hardly, he was always coveted as a top European player. But let's face it, until he went to another league, he could have turned out to be a Fred. Fred was another one that looked really good for Shakhtar the next. But he's come to Man United, he's come to the Premier League and he struggled. So 
he wasn't really a Galactico. Uh, Laporte, they got from Bilbao, which, decent player. But again, he wasn't the finished article. And Concello was probably the only exception to that because he was quite hotly touted for, you know, and courted for a few years. Um, even De Bruyne, again, De Bruyne wasn't playing for Real Madrid's Barcelona's and then Man City bought him for big money. He was on the periphery at Chelsea. He went to... Flop at Chelsea. Flopped at Chelsea. He went to Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, I think, finished, if I remember, kind of in the UA, the Europa League places and he had a decent season there. And then they brought him in. Now, they could have got the Chelsea version of him, but they didn't. They got a really good version of him. People talk about Man City and all the money. I would argue, just quickly to elaborate on that, I would say Man City still, other than now Haaland, until they signed Haaland, I would still say in all this time that they've been around, Aguero was still their biggest name signing they ever 100%. made. I remember the day they signed Aguero. That was a day everyone turned their heads and shat themselves. Even my Liverpool mates, yeah. you know, said, oh, the one player, you know, we did not want to go there. Because I remember on the opening day, he smashed it. Mm-hmm. But I can't turn around and say... Even, as you say, your De Bruyne's, your Jack Grealish's, you know, them sort of play. None of them are bigger than what Aguero was until their most recent sign in Haaland. How long they had Aguero? Yeah, and I'll argue that Aguero aside, the other two key cogs that they bought that made them who they are is David Silva and um, company from Anderlecht. He wasn't... You think back to the days of Real Madrid being this Galactico, Galactico money force, Louis Figo, Zinedine Zidane, David Beckham's, Michael, you know, Ronaldo, you know, these were all finished Polish articles that they just went out and grabbed because they could. Steve McManaman's that that team that Real Madrid had at one point was absolutely outrageous. But a lot of people get annoyed by about Man City. Do you remember who they were? But Chelsea annoy me. Man City don't. Chelsea, One, yeah, I, I agree. Did you know? I look back at some of Man City's greatest players, and I don't sit there and go, "Yeah, but you bought them." The fact that man, some of Man City's greatest players are your Vincent Companies, your Pablo Zabaletas. They didn't. They did it in stages, didn't they? Yeah, they didn't do. They were never all gun ho. It was never right. Bang! It was always and. As I say, the only time I can imagine them doing it in Sages is the window where they got Silva, Aguero and Yaya Torre. And that's when everyone thought, shit, they mean business. But it took them, and I think Newcastle will probably do the same route, that took them three or four years to get to that point. It was never a, you know, kind of foregone conclusion. I just think we need to remember, and, and maybe we need to be careful what we wish for, but Man City could be so much worse than they actually are. When you still think to this day, they are still bringing on or starting Nathan Ake. They're still trying to give him games. John Stones is still playing. Carl Walker is still playing. And let's be honest, Carl Walker, for me, wouldn't be in the top 10 right backs in Europe. But they will still play him. And he he has improved. Zinchenko is still playing. They could easily go out tomorrow and replace that whole midfield if they wanted to, other than De Bruyne, maybe. But they won't. They will still come back next season with Rodri, with Bernardo Silva, and they will do the trusted 
they will put their trust in them players. And, you know, I just think if that was Man United or if that was Chelsea, as Chelsea have proven with Werner and Lukaku, if they don't cut it in one season, replace them. So I think I think we need to just I'm not saying that they, you know they deserve all of it and and whatnot and there is an element of it, but it could be so much worse. Congrats to City. Not not happening for Liverpool this season. Um, they've got the Champions League final. We've already said our piece on that. What we think Liverpool or how we think Liverpool are set up for that Champions League final. Not as strong as how they thought they could be set up for it a month or so ago. But hey ho. And like that, the Premier League season summary is done. It will be missed, uh, but we move on and we await August when it comes back round nice and quickly again. But with that, before I completely sign it off, it would be rude not to give it a mention. Jason. How are you feeling about that bet, mate? Ah, well, it is what it is, isn't it? (laughs) First time in five years. uh, Well done, boys. You've got yourself a nice meal for 15, 20 quid a head or whatever it was. I can't remember now, but look, it's their first time in five years. So, Well done, Brighton. First time for everything, but there we go. End of. Well, I, I can say Arsenal know how that feels because that's now the sixth season in a row they've finished below Spurs. I mean, you know, grows every every season. Um, but, but yeah, maybe maybe the uh, we'll leave Seagull Simon behind in season one. Eh? Um, next week is the last week we hear of Seagull Simon and uh, it all starts again. So. Mid-segment quickly. Got a few predictions to get out of the way. Remember, the total scores are not done yet because we've got who's up or down to summarise next week to, to add the finest bonus points on. So, I remember on a, a sh- the other show that I said I needed to grab Cossie's two predictions from the episode where you two ran ran things and uh, I might as well not have bothered because Cossie got no points out of that one. Um and the predictions from last week were Burnley, Newcastle, Brentford, Leeds, Brighton, West Ham and Arsenal, Everton. And it went as follows. Burnley, Newcastle, the only one that got points there was myself. I actually got it spot on. I said Newcastle would uh, win 2-1 and they did. Got me three points. No other points gained in that one. And then it gets interesting. So as it currently stands, Jace, Cossie 58 points, you 59 points, Cookie 61 points, right? And then this happens. Arsenal Everton, none of us got the exact score, but we all got a point, so that just takes us up an additional. That doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And then we have Brighton West Ham, none of us said Brighton would win, so left like that. And then we get to Brentford Leeds. Ooh, I can't remember the prediction. So Jason on 60 points, Cookie on 62 points, Cossie on 59. Myself, I'm up there in the clouds, enjoying the circus down below. Um, I said Brentford would win. Cossie said Brentford would win. 
Cookie said Leeds would win 1-0. So that gets him a point. Puts him on 63 points to your 60. And then Jason goes and said Leeds would win 2-1. Which puts him tied on second point, second place points with Cookie, going into the who's up or down summary, and then it's all to play for. Jason on 63, Cookie on 63, Cossy on 59, myself on 81. There's still all to play for, but what a comeback to get it with that 2-1 Leeds win. Um, my God, my God, that is a that is impressive. So. We go into who's up or down on next week's show. Right. The important and probably more controversial segment of the show. Won't take us too, too long, but we had to discuss this. We had to do our own team of the season, I think. It was put out there, not just myself and Jace, um, but we have, uh, well, I have retrieved Cossie and Cookie's team of the season for Jason to dissect and digest. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got something to say about it. Uh, so we're going to do it step by step. We'll uh, work down position by position and see how we get on. Um, so some controversial ones in there. Um, I've got to be honest, I, I, I went outside of the book a little bit with... Um, one or two positions, should I say? Um, but then again, that's what I like to do. So you know, I, I want—I wanted to be a little bit, wanted to be a little bit controversial, and I'll do my best to explain why. So we start with the gloves, and it's already controversial from here for me. Um, Cookie's gone with Allison, as has Cossie. Both said Allison. Now. The obvious was for me to also say the same. Um, and maybe, maybe I could have, maybe I could have. But I don't know. There was, there was elements this season for both Edison and Allison that made me think, I don't know whether they've had the season they previously had before. So I thought outside the box a little bit and I thought, who has greatly improved? And, and, and really helped their side get to where they were, regardless of where they finished in the table. And um, I decided to name my goalkeeper of the season. I decided to name Ramsdale as my goalkeeper of the season. I mean, that's pretty some logic in that. Um, I just... I think without him this season, I think Arsenal could have been fortunate to be in the Europa League, to be honest. I think what he's done for them, the signing itself to begin with was laughed at. We're now sitting here asking a really, really serious question as to whether Aaron Ramsdale, who had previously been relegated, should now be the England number one. Now... Whether he will be or not, because I wouldn't go that. Pick, Pickford for England is, you know, a different. He's a different player altogether. But otherwise, I'm, trying, I'm sitting here thinking who would be the second best England goalkeeper, and 
I mean, are you Nick Pope, really, for Burnley this season? I don't know. Maybe. You've got Sam Johnston's in there. But Ramsdale, I, I, just, I just feel what he's done for Arsenal this season, regardless of them missing out on fourth or not, I don't think it's got anything to do with Ramsdale himself. And I just think as a leader for Arsenal, I think they're, they're set in stone for who their keeper's going to be for the next eight-plus years here. And I don't think anyone else other than Alisson, I mean, you could have even argued Man United's De Gea was probably the reason they stayed in the top half of the table. That could have been a funny long shot. But um, I just think Ramsdale deserves a lot of credit. And I think if there's a season that the goalkeepers could be put in there, I, I'd say for the signing itself, Aaron Ramsdale deserves a shout. So I went a little bit controversial and decided to make him my, uh, my goalkeeper of the season. I mean, I can't say I'm... Um... It's not as big as a shock. I'd hold judgment on him for next season, though. I don't think he'll be consistent again. But... It's team of the season, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, he has outperformed. I pissed myself when Arsenal spent 28 million quid on him, but he's he's done a job. I went. So Alisson. come on, then. I went Allison. You did go Allison. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if I wasn't having a. If I wasn't having a moment, I probably would have said Alisson as well, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, decided to be a little bit controversial. The rest from here, maybe not so much, um, other than maybe one other position. But I wouldn't say it's as controversial as this one that I've just said. So, yeah, Alisson, uh, completely understand why. Now, right back. Is it one of the easier positions? Because Cookie has said it, Cossie has said it, I have said it. Oh, now I'm really intrigued. Because VAR right back was Trent. Alexander oh, no, Arnold. I, I didn't pick Trent. He's nowhere near been as good this season as he has last season. Oh, I tell you what, I'd love Cossie to have been on to hear you say that because I think there's a there's an argument there that he... Um, he, he could have been. I mean, he's only... This is his second best season for Liverpool behind the title-winning one. Um, oh, is it? So, um, to be fair, I didn't read the stats, but I felt like this season is one where he wasn't as effective. But then I don't really watch Liverpool, do I? No, true. Well, who was your right back then? I went for Rhys James. Interesting. And the only reason I did is, one, to be a little bit outside the box, but two... Every Chelsea game I think I've seen or watched the result come in, he's either had a goal or assist. I think if Rhys James had played more than 30 games this season, there would have been a shout. But he obviously had that injury period where he only played 26 games this season. And I thought, oh. but his stats are incredible for those 26 games. I mean, he got five goals, nine assists. So I think he was on to it for sure. It's just whether there was an argument that did he play enough games? Um, and I just think Trent did have a great season this year. And in the end, I I went with the fact that Reese James just didn't quite play enough games for me. So I decided to um, to go with that one. But again, can't argue it. I, I can't argue it, to be honest with you. And then we go to left back. And again, me, Cookie and Cossie have all said the same player. We went with... 
Xiao Cancelo. Yeah, I did as well. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It, it was a close one between him and Robertson. I think Robertson's gone under the radar this season for stats. Uh, he's had an incredible season as well. But I forgot about him, to be fair. I just went with Cancelo because it was the first one that came to my head in terms of his standout. Yeah, Cancelo's had a great season, but Andy Robertson scored three goals and had 10 assists in 29 games. So fair play to him. He seemed like he was out of the team quite a lot with Simicast, but um, clearly done the job. Right, we go to centre-backs, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting. So, Cookie went for Van Dijk and Ruben Diaz. Mm. Who were your two centre-backs? Van Dijk and Romero. Nice. Um, Cossie said, and I've surprised actually because I thought I'd go a bit left field with one of them um, I'll agree with you Jace I also said Romero just because of what he'd done for that Spurs back line um, the turnaround in, in, in the time period I know we're arguing how many games he played here but for what he'd done with that Spurs back line I think go, you can't appreciate it until you've seen every game since he's come in and turned that team around it's been incredible but I agreed with Kossi's choice and I actually put not Van Dyke I put Joel Matip in because this season Joel Matip has been Liverpool's probably most consistent centre-back ahead of Canate ahead of Van Dyke I just think he has been there bearing in mind his age as well and he has just sat there and gone about his business and has just been, honestly, an absolute rock. He's played his most games this season for Liverpool and he's been there six seasons. Uh, off the back of two seasons in a row of 10 games and nine games, and he's gone and pulled out the bag, a 31-game season. I just think he's been an absolute rock and and Cossie clearly agrees because he named both Liverpool centre-backs as his, Van Dijk and Matic. But I actually think Van Dijk's been a little bit more off the pace this season than usual. Um, but everyone's opinion. And now it seems to get tough because, Jace, just out of interest, what was your formation? I did 4-2-3-1. Is that 4-2-3-1 as in technically a 4-3-3? Could it be? No, 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 it couldn't be. Oh, interesting. Two two deep line mids with two wingers, a number 10 and a striker. Okay, it's interesting because it'd be be good to know how you've lined up with that number 10 because... Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Let's see then. Let's see. So let's get the the two dead centre mids out the way um, De Bruyne so, and Declan Rice De Bruyne and Declan Rice that's how you've gone is it um, Cookie's gone three in the middle Costi's gone three in the middle and I've gone three in the middle 
And I've got to be honest, I'm still, I still was toying with it, and I think I've made a, I made a last minute decision to to throw another one in there instead of of the initial one, just simply because you know it was more a story than anything. The other one that I had on my mind, but I will say who I was thinking of to begin with. Um, the three in midfield for Cossie and myself are exactly the same, and that was De Bruyne, Declan Rice, and Rodri. So that's what me and Cossie both said. I, yeah. I did I did think about throwing James Ward-Prowse in there. I've got to be honest, just yeah, because he was incredible. That did cross my mind. Um, Cookie, however, went with Rodri and Rice as well, but decided mm-hmm. to ditch... Well, no, he didn't, actually. Uh, he corrected himself after. He decided to, in the end, throw De Bruyne in there, but he initially argued Mason Mount being in that centre midfield. Now, Jason shakes his head in disbelief, but I will say I do think as quiet as Chelsea have been this season, when you actually see Mason Mount's stats for Chelsea this season, I've got to be honest, I was so surprised. Because in 32 games, he scored 11 goals and got 10 assists. Which, you know, bearing in mind Chelsea were doing what Chelsea were doing this season. When you talk about progression from where he's gone from Chelsea in the past two seasons of getting barely six, seven goals and five assists to double them to 11 and 10, I think it's pretty impressive and... I know it's a bit controversial, but actually, I probably wouldn't have batted an eyelid if Cookie decided to go for it. Maybe it would have uh, been a bit more surprising if he decided to be De Bruyne to drop out for Mason Mount, but that was another argument altogether. So what is it about Mason Mount's stats that that don't get him in uh, in contention? My argument is Mason Mount's stats and performances haven't excelled Chelsea enough in terms of what they've achieved this season. Yes, Mount has been a shining light on that Chelsea team, but for me, they haven't done anything with it. I think with, with Mason Mount, how, how far could Chelsea have fallen if they didn't have a certain player? And let's be honest, he could have, like every other Chelsea player, seems to have this season, like your reach. I mean, you've, you've put Reese James in there and, well, the argument could be for Reese James as well. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't do... My argument with Reese James is... When you look at his contributions, and I know the stats say Mason Mount contributed, but it's not normal for a, a right back to score the amount of goals or whatever or involve themselves as much in the offensive side of the game as Reese James has. So if you take his stats back and apply that to an average right back season, Chelsea probably drop 12 points easily. Mason Mount on paper, and again, I'm being tongue in cheek here. But he's only scored the same amount of goals as Timo Pukki. And Timo Pukki's in a shit Norwich team that finished bottom. You know, he scored 11 league goals. It's, um... I think the difference is Mason Mount's not, as you just said with Rhys James, I don't think Mason Mount's expected to do what Timo Pukki, if anything, Mason Mount has plugged a hole that their £100 million signings has not been able to, but then you to pull out the bag. With, you can argue the same with Havertz. Yeah, there's big questions for Chelsea next season, as we've alluded to all season. So we'll see how that goes. So, who is your number 10? 
Harry Kane. Fair enough. And well, he's then not, he's not an out and out striker, is he? So yeah. Well, he is on paper, I guess. Uh, bullshit. Bullshit. With he ideal, is on paper. Ideal in real life. Ideal in stats in real life. Well, the front three for Cookie was funny enough, bearing in mind he said all season what impact has he made? <laughs> he's then gone and thrown Sonny in. <laughs> To his team of the season. Uh, alongside Salah, and more surprisingly, of all the seasons he's put him in, he actually did put Harry Kane in. Um, I was surprised, to be honest, and I'm surprised you put Harry Kane in there because I didn't think any he was anywhere near going into it this season, but he did have a great second half. Um, there's an argument to be had with Cossies. Cossie also said Salah and Son. I think if you haven't put Salah and Son in this season, there's something potentially wrong. But he decided to put Mane in there. And I think there's an argument to be had here that I don't know how I feel about Mane this season. He's had a good season, don't get me wrong. 16 goals, two assists. But something just felt really off. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's just because Yotta and Diaz and Salah are all on form as well that it's downplayed it a little bit, maybe. But I just felt like this season he just wasn't as involved. I mean, he's obviously involved enough to get 16 goals. Don't get me wrong. But I think two assists kind of tells a bit of a story. Um, and Yotta also, to be fair, wasn't actually that far off. Similar sort of stats. Um, but this is where I've gone a bit left field. So... Chase, who are your front three? So, Kane number 10, then either side of him, Son and Salah out wide. Yeah. And Striker, although I could have put him number 10, but I put him Striker. Jordan so Kane and this guy could have went either way to be fair. Zaha. You put and, Zaha up. And the only reason I did that, Cookie and Cossie will jump down my throat and say... Oh, Palace Bias. He's got 14 league goals this season, which is his best performing season. He's ahead of the likes of Sterling, Tony, Mares, Bowen, Mount, Saka, Watkins. But not only that, if you take on paper again, so I've been a bit cheekier, but on paper he's a winger, only Salah. Son and Mane have scored more goals as a winger than Wilfred Zaha. So mm. that for me, I was torn between him and Bowen. I was going to put Kane up top with Bowen as the number 10. And I went with Zaha just because if I don't back him after him having his best performance of the season, it would be rather unjust. Well, it's interesting because obviously I've gone Salah and Son and I've actually put Son as my forward in this scenario, bearing in mind Salah and Son could rotate. And I did actually put Bowen in. Reason for that is I've gone for Bowen as my winger because I think what Jared Bowen's done this season, granted your argument for Zaha absolutely, you know, to score that many goals and, and it has gone unnoticed. Um, I think kind of Gallagher took all the plaudits, but actually there's a big question to be had as to 
how good Conor Gallagher's first half of the season was, but actually the most consistent player this season for Palace has been Wilfred Zaha, but they will still go on about Conor Gallagher. Well, you know, the funny it's thing it's is, the agenda, isn't it? But is, As you've brought that up now, we'll talk about that because obviously you gave me a bit of stick on that group yesterday saying, oh, you've got a gaping hole to fill. And I actually think with Conor Gallagher, and I'm only saying this, I wouldn't have said this three months ago, but he's gone 15 games now, I think, with no league and no goal or assist involvement. And Grant, he runs around a lot and makes things happen. But if it's true that we're close to signing this midfielder from RC Lons, as supposedly we are, we've got a ready-made like for like replacement already. Um, he's only scored two goals this year. Yeah. So for me, I don't think he's I think he's been good. And his obviously his work ethic off the ball and his running around, and he still does a job now, but it's just not as effective in my opinion. Yeah, but Jared Bowen for me um, this season twelve goals, ten assists. I mean, when you talk about a complete winger, that is complete winger form. Um, and for me, it eclipses Mane. Yes, he hasn't scored as many goals as as Mane, but. Since when has being a winger only been about scoring goals? You know, this guy has put goals in the back of the net, double figures. I mean, you go on about stats, like when you when you look at a basketball match and, and people go on about the greats, you know, it's all about who can do the, the doubles or the triple doubles and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's not just about putting the ball in the net. It's about, you know, being able to, to assist your, your teammates and whatnot. And, and that's where I think, players like Jared Bowen go under the radar because what he's done this season for West Ham, it's, it's not even double what he'd done previously. He has like eclipsed it beyond. And he's gone from being a player that was good enough for West Ham to, in all honesty, if, if Liverpool signed him tomorrow, they wouldn't because they've got a great front line. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. If Spurs signed him tomorrow, if Arsenal signed him tomorrow, if Chelsea signed him tomorrow, I, pr- I probably wouldn't be surprised at all because I do think he's that good. I do think he deserves to be in the England squad this season over players like Jack Grealish and whatnot. Um, I just think he's been an absolute worldie. And, you know, it could be a purple patch. We don't know, but he's certainly got it in him. Um and yeah, I think he deserves to be in there. And, you know, I think West Ham have got a great player on their hands and he's certainly the reason they got as far as they did in certain aspects. And unfortunately, they've just fallen short. The only thing with West Ham is they're two players away from completely capitulating with Rice and Bowen leaving. So I don't know, but I'm glad you mentioned him because it it wasn't just, you know, me having a mad moment, but he definitely deserves to be in there. And um, yeah, I think you've got an argument as well. So, yeah, that's the team of the season. So it didn't it didn't, uh, didn't surprise you too much, Cookies. Let's just say that. You seem to think it was going to be crazy, yeah. but not yeah. one Arsenal player got in there for him. Yeah, well, at least he's honest about something. And like that, we're done this week. I mean, next week, we're obviously going to be talking about the Champions League. Um, and the Europa Conference League. It's with the Conference League finals after the Europa League final, but hey-ho. Um, and of course, we'll be talking about the... Well, I guess by the time that rolls around, the playoffs will be decided as well, wouldn't they? So we'll certainly yeah. give that a mention because they they do deserve a, a talk, Nottingham Forest and, and Huddersfield. So 
We'll see how that goes and hopefully we'll have a, a full squad assembled for that final show before we take our pre-season break. So for the time being, Jace, that is myself and you this week done. Join us next week for I'll episode 52. I'll see you in a few weeks with the lads. A few mayo chickens were baking my little treat there. You yeah, can, all right. You can have a sweet milkshake if you want as well. We'll, we'll see. We'll see where we end up. Get, the, get them cobwebs out. <laughs> but in the meantime, that is episode 51 done, and we will see you all next week. Bye for now. listening to total football debate podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode it would mean the world to us if you could spread the word regarding our show and leave us a rating so we know how we're doing also please 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 interact with us on social media especially on twitter at tf debate where we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on any of the topics we discuss each week you never know we may even get you on the show to say hello thanks again for listening and keep an ear out for the next episode.